Enjoy. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Pastor Keith Crosby, our special guest today. He, of course, is lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose. And pastor Crosby, I want to pick up where we left off just before the break. And I, I think you're, you're right on the money that oftentimes it's easy to look for a quick fix, an easy solution. And, and sadly, as we look at societal problems today, we've got racial challenges and tensions in many communities across the United States, economic depression, a lot of the fallout of COVID has hurt a lot of families, not only in terms of health, but also economically. We look at the political turmoil and rust on Washington, D.C., almost coast to coast these days, and, and seek some kind of a solution to all of this. And, and maybe the failure is, and I'd like you to elaborate on this, maybe the failure is that we're looking for political solutions to what are, at the core, uniquely spiritual problems, problems of the heart. That's exactly it. You know, we have become short-sighted. And I think part of the problem is uh, that in many cases, people have their favorite Bible passages and their favorite Bible stories, but they really haven't read their Bibles as thoughtfully and carefully as they should. And I think some of the responsibility for that falls on the failure of pastors who who don't who don't teach the Bible as uh, carefully and maybe faithfully as they should. I mean, nobody's perfect. We all have our blind spots. But when we look at the world around us, the reason many Christians and churches are applying worldly solutions to spiritual problems or they're applying uh, uh, political solutions to spiritual, moral and, uh, problems is that they don't understand the book. We know how the book ends. Things are only going to be fixed, as it were, when Jesus returns, and they don't have a biblical perspective on history. History, from a biblical standpoint, is a downward trend towards the end times, you know, you know, and so whatever your eschatology is to the return of Christ, and things aren't going to get better. Paul talks to Timothy in the pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy, and Titus as well, but to Timothy about th- people will go from bad to worse. Uh, that statue that terrified Nebuchadnezzar that Daniel explained shows a decay in civilization from the gold to the silver, you know, to the bronze to the to the iron. Things are going to go from bad to worse, and for Christians to try to prevent that is uh, folly because they end up resisting God. And what they need to understand is this world is a great Titanic, and it's sinking. And rather than rearrange deck chairs on the Titanic, we need to be getting people into the lifeboats of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they will spend an eternity in heaven no matter how their lives end in this world. Is there a sense in your mind, uh, I'm going to use your analogy of the Titanic, you know, the, the old joke about rearranging the deck chairs as the Titanic is sinking, and that image of the, the orchestra playing as people are going to their uh, watery graves. And, and I wonder if maybe there's culpability on both sides. And by that, I mean, it's easy for us to say, well, it's a fault of the preacher in the pulpit who is not boldly proclaiming God's word, who, you know, will mention a scripture or two and then head off into platitudes that just stroke people's egos and make them feel better, almost sort of a a success motivation uh, workshop confined to, you know, 35 minutes on Sunday morning, along with, I wonder, the people in the pews that maybe seek after that, as Scripture says, those with itching ears uh, seeking someone who will tickle that ear. And so I'm wondering if part of this 
Titanic experience that we're kind of, you know, plunging into is has layers of culpability both from the pulpit and in the pews as well. I think that's a fair observation, Craig. You know, I, I think there is a dual culpability, Craig. I think that, you know, pastor and people need to have a love of God's word and the love of the God of that word. And I think if that's not there, the church won't be healthy. The church won't be functional. And together, they need to love God and his word so much that they can do what that word says and reach out to a lost and hurting world, uh, counting the cost, you know, denying themselves daily, taking up their cross and following Christ. And if Christ is at the center of this, then there won't be that tendency to compromise or to tickle ears or to want to be liked by everybody. They just want to be found faithful by Christ. You mentioned before we came on the air today that you've been um, preparing some sermon notes for study in the book of Revelation, a fascinating place to be. Um, I, I would imagine as, as John was there on the island, there must have been moments that he was shaking in his boots uh, as he was yeah. taking this dictation down. But I, but I have to wonder, you know, we're, we're reminded in the book of Revelation that a time would come that men's hearts would fail within them for fear. Mm-hmm. And certainly fear seems to characterize the moment that we're living in right now, whether it's fear of rumors of wars in diverse places and earthquakes and volcanoes shooting off and rioting in the streets, political unrest, and certainly the impact of this global pandemic that's claimed just in the United States alone, almost three quarters of a million Americans in less than a year and a half, two years. And I have to wonder, is this a time for us to be fearful? Or from the church's perspective, from God's perspective, are we living in absolutely incredible, exciting times of unparalleled opportunity? Because in many respects, those are at both far ends of the continuum. I think what you just said, we are living in unparalleled times of incredible opportunity. One of the things about the book of Revelation and is this, it's the happiest book in the Bible. Jesus wins. He's going to wipe away every tear. And God has written this, this letter to us. That, you know, Revelation is an epistle. And he's written this to us to inform us of what's going to happen so that we're not in the dark, so that we can, as it were, seize the day. In fact, the thesis statement for the book of Revelation is Revelation 1-3. Blessed is the one who reads this book aloud, and blessed is the one who hears and keeps the prophecy of this book, because the time is near. And Revelation is all about living with purpose and urgency as history, redemptive history, comes to a close. And so it's a happy book, it's an encouraging book, and it's not nearly as mysterious as people make it out to be. And so I think this is a great time to live as a Christian because we have unparalleled opportunities in our communities globally, even through technology. You know, as bad as some of the stuff is online, we have the ability to reach people we've never reached before. And the world has come to San Jose. This is a mission field. You have people here coming from closed countries that we can reach with the gospel right now. And that was one of the things, as I recall, uh, that, that you had mentioned to me um, previously that attracted you to come to the Silicon Valley and to pastor a church in San Jose, that it literally is ground zero for technology. And when you look at the mission field, my, my, uh, you know, there are those in the field of ministry that have to get a passport, learn another language, get into an airplane, fly a half a world away to find the quote unquote mission field. And And yet here, and in San Jose in particular, all you need to do is open the front door, and there it lies before you. That's right. Uh, You know, in Revelation, it describes heavenly worship in Revelation chapter 4, and it talks about people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. 
And that's what you have here in San Jose. 40% of the people who live in my neighborhood are from some other country. And you have an opportunity day in and day out to reach and to meet people, to form relationships with, and to tell them about Jesus who might never hear the gospel. And we are you're right, we are at ground zero. And these people are influencers, and they can reach other people that we can't reach. And like I said, we are, we were raised up for such a time as this here in San Jose as Christians. And is it a time then, as I think you're alluding to, Dr. Crosby, that the church really needs to return to both its first love as well as return to some of the fundamentals? And I say that because I think oftentimes there's a sense that after we've been in Christ for a while, we become a little bit jaded. Perhaps it just becomes kind of, you know, done by rote. We get up and go to church on Sunday morning because that's what we've always done. And we read scripture in the morning for 10 minutes because that's what we've always done. We really are not thoughtful or purposeful in saying, you know, what is my goal? What is my mission here? And as I'm reading God's Word, for example, not just to read it and say, okay, I did my 10 minutes. I've done my good Christian duty for the day, but instead to ask ourselves, what is the word saying to me? How do I apply that word to me? How do I live out that word so that others that see me say, there's something different about that guy? And and I'm not saying that we should not boldly be about the business of evangelism, but we also recognize in a place like Silicon Valley that the the lifestyle evangelism, the, the life that we present to others is often as loud a witness for the cause of Christ as the guy who stands on a street corner with a big sign saying, you know, repent or, or burn. Well, you're 100% right, Craig. You know, evangelism rings hollow without witness. You know, Jesus uh, says in Acts 1-8, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the whole world. And the witnesses are those who are authentic Christians. One of the, you know, we talk, the credo of this church is we're here to change the world one soul at a time with the message of Jesus Christ. And we preach the word, I'll preach expositorily. But then we say, how do we do that? Be one, bring one, build one. Be the real deal. Be the authentic Christian, not the Sunday Christian, not the weekend warrior. I don't want to be uncharitable, but be a real Christian. And, you know, Christ calls us to deny ourselves daily, take up our cross and follow him. That means sacrifice. It means commitment. And when when you read the Bible, you know, David says in the Psalms, you know, his opening prayer is uh, one of the Psalms is, Oh, Lord, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your word. That's the way we need to approach the Bible so that it changes us and the people see the change. They see people like themselves who struggle with sin, who struggle with all kinds of things, but who are struggling. As, as you know, We're not saved by works, but saving faith brings works. You know, faith without works is dead, and people can see that in us. They see our imperfection, but they see our sincerity and our struggle to live for the Savior. And I think that makes a huge difference, and it gives us credibility when we speak to them about the gospel. You have just zeroed in on something, and I want to circle back to this, because this is so powerful, and I think can be so enormously encouraging to everyone eavesdropping on our conversation right now. Our conversation today with Pastor Keith Crosby, lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose. We'll take a brief time out, return to more of our dialogue in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our conversation. Pastor Keith Crosby, our special guest today. He, of course, is lead pastor at Hillside Church of San Jose. Pastor Crosby, I want to pick up where we left off just before the break. We're called to be his witnesses. Now, think about that in the context of, say, uh, an automobile accident or a fire. There are people that happen to be passing by or in that area at the time of the event. 
They saw with their own eyes what happened. They will be the most credible report back to the police department, the fire department. Oh, yes, I heard a hissing sound. Then the explosion came. All of that information is then goes into that report to ascertain what happened. We're called to be witnesses that suggests that we've seen this Jesus. We've seen him in our life experience. We've seen him through the word. We've seen him work in our lives as we study his word and apply that to our lives. We've watched God do miracles in us from the miracle of salvation to, you know, taking us through the challenges of life, be it sickness, disease, whatever it might be. We have seen God do that. Now to go and share that. And sometimes Christians will say, well, you know, I don't mind praying. I'm happy to go to church. I'll support the church. But I, that witnessing stuff, I can't handle that. That's just too much. You know, it, it feels like having to be, you know, uh, knocking on doors. And I just, I don't feel comfortable with that. But if what God is really saying is to be my witness is to give an account for what he has done in your own life, then you're just simply a storyteller of your own life experience with God. Well, who can't do that? It, it's no different than saying, I was standing here and I saw the car run through the red light and I heard the crashing sound. You give a report of what you have seen. And then that report then drives the conclusion. And I think that maybe the change that we need to have in the approach that many believers do to this matter of sharing the gospel and impacting their sphere of influence, the people they come in contact with every day, is to acknowledge and understand that being a witness is nothing more than to share what you have seen, what you have experienced with very God himself. Now, where, of course, this, this begins to fall short is if you haven't been in God's word, if you haven't been walking closely with the Lord, then maybe the challenge of being a witness is that you've not had much to share because you've not experienced much with the God of the universe. Do you think that's true? I, I do. I think, I, think, I think, like you said, it's a both-and proposition. You're in the Word of God. You're, you know, it's kind of a feel-felt-found. I used to feel the same way you did. I felt that way before. But as I studied God's Word, I found more and more purpose, more and more understanding of why things are the way things are. And, and, you know, the early disciples, you know, did more with less. They didn't have the closed canon of Scripture, the 66 right. books of the Bible, and they just taught what they knew. And I tell people, even at church, you know, you've heard the message today. You know, what does the text, what does the text say? What does the text mean? What do I do? And who have I told? And that's really what it's all about, you know. Uh, and we say, you know, yeah, I remember when I lost my mother or I lost this person, but, you know, I knew that they had heard the gospel, they had embraced the gospel, and they're going to spend an eternity in heaven, or, because that's what the Bible says, or I shared the gospel with them, and I've left them in the hands of a God who does all things well, and whether or not they believed or not is not up to me, that's up to them, that's between them and God. You know, that's it, an informed Christianity that helps us make informed decisions, and they're, and to and to know what to say to people, and to, and to ask God, you know, in every moment, like Nehemiah, you know, he did all these silent prayers when he was interacting with the Hazarus, you know, this is what we have to do. That's why I say, and it sounds trite, abide in Christ, keep his word, read his word, and let him do the heavy lifting. Absolutely, and, and never be fearful to think that, well, if you talk about your faith, that you're going to get into some deep theological debate, and you don't feel, you feel as if you're ill-prepared to be a, a, a sufficient apologist, and therefore you say nothing at all. Just right. share from your experiences. And I love when you said, you know, when the apostles started out, they didn't have many tools or resources at their disposal at all, other than to say, let me tell you what I have witnessed. Yeah. And I don't think it's any different for us either. 
Yeah, we don't have to have all the answers. And here's the thing, you know, and this is where I talk about playing offense for the kingdom of God, is you're going to meet skeptics who really don't want to listen, and they're just going to pepper you with questions to mire you down or to confuse you. All you say is, look, I don't know, but, you know, we can let me, let me look into this, and we'll get back together and talk about it tomorrow. If they really are sincere, they'll say, okay, great, let's do that. And you, you just, you know, Jesus says, don't cast your pearls before swine. You don't have to have all the answers to all the questions. You just have to know the truth that sets people free from sin, death, and hell and share that with people. Yeah, I, I've heard it put this way. You don't have to have the answers to all the questions so long as you know where to go to find them. There you go. And that's the wonderful resource that we have available to us through God's Word. And, of course, that's a big part of um, the, the ministry of Hillside Church of San Jose, uh, sharing God's Word in a vibrant Christian community there, right in the heart of Silicon Valley. And maybe you can spend a couple of minutes, Pastor, talking to us a bit about what God is doing, um, not only through your pulpit ministry, but in the life and ministry of Hillside Church. Well, you know, God is doing amazing things. Uh, Over the last five years, the church has grown. I think 45% of the people who attend today have been here less than five years. They have a love for God. They have a love for each other. And we've really been kind of outreach focused. We've sent out tons of missionaries from this church over the last 50 years. I don't know in the last, you know, several years we were as good at local outreach. That's where we're putting our effort right now. We want to make disciples. We want to lead people to Christ. And and so we've done a series of events. We're going to do Fall Fest, October 30th. It's a big outdoor festival. There'll be games and trunk or treat and food trucks and all kinds of activities for the family outdoors. It'll be safe, you know, in terms of the COVID thing and everything else. Another exciting thing is, and thanks to KFAX, you know, you broadcast our, our, our sermons from south of Gilroy to north of San Francisco. Uh, we have a lot of people, because some of the churches have been slow to reopen for whatever reason, who have been attracted to our church. And then the live streaming, of course, that's a whole other feature. So we've had people driving from San Francisco, Oakland, uh, Palo Alto, uh, Milpitas, and things like that. And, and it's hard for them to drive that distance. And so I think God has called us to plant a church, City Light Bible Church in Santa Clara. And that way, nobody has to drive me driving from San Francisco every Sunday. And so we're going to try to plant that church, uh, and it will have its, if you want to call it, grand opening uh, in September of 2022. And so we are looking to... Uh, not rearrange furniture with inside the kingdom of God, but to plant a church that multiplies uh, disciples, that leads people to Christ, and that expands the reach. And so we're really excited. Our people are excited to to share the gospel. We have people, we have something we call the search party. Thursday nights, they go out to different places, the Communications Hill, the Prune Yard, different places, uh, and they talk to people, ask if they can pray for them, and try to introduce them to Christ. And we're getting people doing that in every age group. It's not just older people, it's younger people. Our church is diverse. It has grown in its diversity over the last five years, and we're just excited to serve Christ in this community. And we can sense His presence and feel His power, and we are just thrilled to be 
here and raised up for such a time as this. Well, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not at all surprised to hear that people are willing to drive that far. It just once again goes to prove the theory that hungry people will go in seek of solid food. And I never hear the complaint, you know, this neighborhood's just got too many really good restaurants. Where are all the bad restaurants when you want one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and right. So the, the notion of another good restaurant opening up, meaning another church, boldly, unabashedly, unashamedly proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching people how to read it, how to apply it, how to live it. Listen, we can we can do with thousands more like that. So kudos to you. That's exciting news. And I think, again, goes back to the heart of, of what we were discussing a moment ago, and that is with everything going on and swirling around us, let's not get distracted by the noise because that's the enemy wanting to do that. Take our eyes off the prize and instead focus on, you know, the, 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 the crisis du jour instead mm-hmm. of being eternally minded and saying, what can and should we be doing right now to strengthen the stakes of our tents and to be prepared to reach more for Christ? Because scripture does also tell us, yes, in the end times, there'll be a great falling away, but also there will be a tremendous harvest. And I think God is queuing us up here for something. I, again, I don't want to go as far as to say I've got the inside track and I know the date and the hour, but I think that sense of urgency and the tremendous opportunity that God has given us is one that we do not want to miss. I think you're 100% right, and we're just excited to be part of his redemptive plan. God has given every Christian a little piece of redemptive real estate, and that's what we want to do is to expand his kingdom, you know, and so we're, we're excited. We really are. God's doing a lot down there at Hillside Church of San Jose. Again, they meet Sunday mornings in person at 8, 9.30, and 11, with online services available at 9.30 and 11 a.m. as well. Located at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. Information available on the web at hillside.org. That's hillside.org. I am struck, too, based Pastor Crosby, on your your geographic location, that as much as you're right in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you're really in the heart of a tremendously diverse place, and the church very much reflects that. It does. It does. You know, we have people... You know, it's, it's you know our community is about uh, a third uh, Hispanic, about a third Asian, Indo Asian, uh, and uh, uh, Sino Asian, and then you know you, you, a third uh, Caucasian and other in other uh, ethnicities, and our church is beginning to reflect that. Uh, we're thrilled. We have people from all from countries that, you know, from Botswana and Nigeria. We have people from India. We have people from Korea. We have people from all over the place, and we have people from San Jose. But this is a picture of the kingdom of God. You know, it's a, it's it's kind of a sad story, but historically, the the, the eleven o'clock hour, let's call it the hour that everybody goes to church, is one of the most segregated uh, hours in America. And yet, when people go to work, they have people of all kinds of nationalities and all colors. And that's the way the church should be. And that's what we're striving to become. And we, I think, we've made progress by God's grace and providence in that. And uh, and that's what that continues to be our mission as well, to reach all kinds of people from all kinds of places. Well, and I think that not only is um, something that thrills the heart of God, it, it, it is representative of a church that represents what the Bay Area diversity looks like, but most importantly, you alluded to this a moment ago, it also represents the diversity of 
heaven because Amen. I'm a firm believer when we get to the pearly gates, uh, Peter is not going to say, okay, the, the Baptist section <laughs> is yeah. over here. Presbyterians, you hang out over there. Uh, no, it, it's going to be come one, come all, and, and our identity, and this is as it should be, our identity should not be wrapped up in the language we speak, in the color of our skin, in the kind of food that we eat, though those are all wonderful things. But ultimately, our identity should be in Christ because we are made not in the image of our, like in my case, my relatives in Italy. No, we are made in the image of very God himself. And those are at the core, our roots, and they are to be celebrated. And I think it's it's encouraging and delightful to hear that God is doing that today at Hillside Church. Well, thank you. We're thrilled. We're humbled and we're honored. God is just so good to us. You know, we are an intergenerational church. We have, it's just been a pleasure to serve the people of Hillside. They are just a loving, welcoming people and they have supported uh, the changes in direction and ministry and they have really just put themselves out there. I love them and they have loved me and my family through thick and thin. Well, we appreciate the time today, Pastor. And again, I want to invite folks, maybe you're new to the San Francisco Bay Area in search of a church home, we invite you to check out Hillside Church of San Jose. They meet at 545 Hillsdale Avenue in San Jose. Information available on the web at hillside.org. That's hillside.org. We're always delighted to spend some time with Dr. Keith Crosby, a tremendous blessing not only to Hillside, but a blessing to all of us here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Pastor, we appreciate your heartbeat for ministry, your your passion for the gospel, your dedication to proclaiming God's word, uh, unabashed and and unedited, as they say. (laughs) And uh, we thank you so much for spending a couple of moments with us here today to get a chance to know a bit about you, your ministry, and uh, what God is doing today at Hillside Church. Well, thank you for having me, Craig. The pleasure was all mine. It's been a privilege. Thank you so much. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. If you've been paying close attention, and these days it's hard not to, you've probably noticed a significant paradigm shift. A shift that's occurred in culture and society, one that largely at one time embraced or at least tolerated Christians and had a regard for Christianity. That paradigm shift now moving toward a world increasingly hostile toward Christian faith and, as a result, Christians. How can we, though, learn to live bravely, confidently even, in an ever-increasingly secular world? And how can that confidence help us become more effective witnesses in reaching the lost around us for Christ and making disciples? Well, in a new book entitled Brave by Faith, author, pastor, and Bible teacher Alistair Begg sheds light on this important topic through the lens of the book of Daniel. Pastor Begg, of course, is senior pastor at Parkside Church in Cleveland and speaker on Truth for Life, heard weekday mornings at 7.30 a.m. each Monday through Friday, right here on KFAX. And Pastor Begg, is always, a delight and a privilege to have you join us. And it's my privilege to uh, chat with you. Why, we're, uh, we're certainly, and to be sure, the events of the last year here, 14 months or so, have really shown us that there's much in the world around us that has changed. And, uh, and to be sure, you know, it's often said that uh, crisis and hard times will show us who we are. Do you think in that sense, uh, based on the events of the last year and, and kind of this slow paradigm shift that we've been undergoing for even much longer than that, that it's beginning to show us who we are as a church? And if so, what exactly does that picture look like? Well, it's a real question, isn't it? Uh, Because I I think your analysis is accurate. 
and uh, the events of uh, the last 12 or 14 months have uh, caused all kinds of uh, consternation, uh, some of it uh, understandable and some of it surprising. But nevertheless, things are uh, vastly different from what they were. And, you know, I think one of the things that I keep saying to myself is, uh, th- this is not new, you know. Uh, we've uh, God's people have lived through this before, and one of the one of the things about going back all the way back, for example, to the story of you know God's people being dragged away into a, an alien environment in Babylon, uh, helps me to realize that you know the parents of Daniel and his friends must have been saying to themselves, "Well, what is God doing in this? I mean, this isn't what I expected for my children." I I thought that we would be secure and fine and make progress. And when the boys are dragged off into an environment that is definitely alien, if not unduly antagonistic, then they have every reason to say to themselves, well, you know, if God is so good, why, did, why do things look like this? And these are the kind of questions that I find as a pastor that people are asking. And so uh, the idea of uh, a call to bravery, a call to uh, uh, examine where we really stand in terms of our convictions is uh, is an important call. Some of what we're feeling, uh, it was certainly as you allude to, is not new. If anything, in fact, those that have any point of comparison between the state of the church in America today and the state of the church in Europe know that this paradigm shift there uh, began many, many years ago. And as we've seen some of the most spectacular churches practically empty on the average Sunday morning and, um, to be sure, a change in the status, so to speak, in the influence of the imprint of Christianity and Christians across Europe, we're now seeing this here in America. And quite frankly, I think not only do a lot of believers not know how to react to all of this and our uh, increasingly uh, lack of status or or um, uh, viability, perhaps, but maybe even frustrated with the notion that somehow we need to work to regain that influence. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it speaks to a lot of things, doesn't it? It speaks to the fact that, you know, understandably, uh, most of us, when we've read in our Bibles, you know, for example, when Peter says, you know, uh, don't count it strange that you would face these fiery trials, you know, we've read that and said to ourselves, I wonder what that must be like, or, uh, you know, count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds, and when we think about what we mean by trials and what others have faced, uh, we realize that there's a vast discrepancy between the two, and I think that the, the, the moment of opportunity for us is to realize that God's purpose in this, uh, because he does have a purpose in it, uh, will unfold as we live, uh, understanding that, you know, the story of the Bible and the story certainly of Daniel is essentially the same message again and again. And that is, God is in charge, and you can trust him. And so it calls in question whether we believe either of those statements, whether we really believe that God is in charge when everything hits the fan, and whether we can trust him uh, when things don't go according to our cherished hopes and plans. 
And, you know, it's interesting because there's been plenty of history within the church when these sort of trying times come and there's an increased sense of, of persecution taking place and, and it almost feels as if the church is being nullified or, or vilified that we tend to react in one of two ways. We either retreat and kind of hang with our own kind and separate ourselves from the world or we lash out, we react out of anger, we cast non-believers as the enemy and begin to compromise our testimony. And so with that notion in mind of kind of what have been two sort of historical ways of responding to all of this, you you bring into the conversation a third option, an option based largely out of the book of Daniel, who he himself had plenty of challenges in dealing with an evil king and, and wanting to not compromise and show honor toward God. And it's that third path that uniquely you take us down inside the pages of Brave by Faith. And, and help us understand, even in terms of the book title, Alistair, what, what, what message are you trying to convey to the reader? Well, really, the message that I was trying to understand for myself, you know, I was brought up with, uh, you know, I had pictures of Daniel in my in my child's Bible, and uh, I looked at him and thought, wow, it would be nice to be like Daniel. And it's possible for us to read a story like Daniel and say, I think the message is we're supposed to try and do our best and become like Daniel. But what I was saying in the book was, no, first of all, we need to learn to trust in Daniel's God, mm. because the thing that made Daniel Daniel was not the peculiarities of his background or his intellect or whatever it might have been, but that he actually did trust in God. And his bravery came out of a conviction that God would care for him and would look after him. And so, you know, what happened to those fellows is is quite remarkable. I mean, they were repatriated. They were taken away from everything that was familiar, from family, from the structure of their own established uh, Judaism. And uh, they they were re-educated according to the Babylonian system. They were uh, they had their names changed, and then fascinatingly they decided, well, there is one place that we're not going to give, and that was on this question of of food. And uh, from our perspective, it looks like well, that's of all the things that they might have been concerned about, why that? And and the answer is actually because their their unwillingness to contravene these dietary laws was because the laws were an external outworking of deeply held convictions about who they were and what they were and what it meant for them to be the, to be the children of God. Now, they went about it in a way that wasn't obnoxious. Uh, they asked uh, the, 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 the fellow to, uh, uh, to give them a shot at this. They said, try us and see if this is true. And of course, they, they come out stronger than the others. And then the remarkable thing, too, is that then the, the king realizes the quality of these fellows. They're, yeah, they're different. Their mindset is different. And yet Daniel is the one who rises to a position of immense influence in an alien kingdom. Now, he couldn't have done that if all he was doing was decrying the system. He wasn't decrying the system. He was uh, able to hold to what he knew to be true concerning God and yet to do it in a way that was, uh, if you like, manageable. And so the issue is, how do we get involved in cultural engagement? How do we, how do we engage with a culture that presses in against us and do so in such a way that we don't fold and, uh, and uh, out of fear, but that we remain brave, that our bravery is not a matter of, you know, being simply boisterous and certainly not being obnoxious, but actually is by faith. 
And uh, it's the challenge, I think, that is before us now in uh, the church here in the United States. We see this ever-increasing cultural and society around us, and, and some might react to that, and it may be to our own detriment, by questioning our faith. Maybe even questioning God, saying, well, Lord, you know, we've, we've served you, we've lived in your name, and now we feel as if somehow you're MIA. And <laughs> that the decline of society and the lack of status and influence that we're feeling these days is, is maybe God's part. And so then oftentimes maybe the huge stumbling block where the church, instead of standing strong in our faith, takes on the viewpoint that, well, if you can't beat them, join them, and suddenly compromise creeps in. Well, yeah, I mean, that's the story of liberal Christianity. I mean, certainly in, in the United Kingdom, um, where uh, the pastors lost a conviction about the authority and the sufficiency of the Bible, that then became apparent to the members of their congregation, who, if, this, if those people held true to the Scriptures, would have to go and find some other place to worship. And those who were quite happy to compromise found they were part of an ever-diminishing uh, company of individuals. And so the same is true if you go back to Scotland today. Uh, the church after church building is completely dark. Uh, there are a small number of people there, often very old people. And yet, if you go to uh, Edinburgh, if you go to Aberdeen, if you go to Glasgow, if you go to some of the rural areas in Scotland, and you find uh, they may not be huge congregations, but they're vibrant congregations, and they, they transcend all the age ranges, and you say, what is it that makes them uh, strong in this context? And the answer is the same in every place, that they are convinced that the Word of God does the work of God by the power of the Spirit of God. And where that conviction remains, even though the numbers may not be dramatic, nevertheless, God is at work. And we, we, we're going to have to learn that here in America. I'm convinced of that. I, I'm, I'm not in any doubt about it at all. And, you know, it, it, it raises the question, so often there's this sense that the world is looking for our approval, and they want us to simply capitulate and tell them where they're at, what they do, how they believe, how they act, is okay. But in reality, isn't the real truth here that the world doesn't need our approval? What the world needs is our example. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and what, what it needs is our gospel. It needs, it needs good news. I mean, it needs, it needs the, the story that is, that is the great narrative that is missing. I mean, one of the one of the obvious factors in uh, our, our culture at the moment is the is the collapsing of of any meaningful framework for understanding anything, understanding where we came from, understanding why we exist, understanding where we're going. Uh, you know, looking at ourselves in the mirror and understanding uh, sexuality, uh, coming to an understanding of what it means to be a man or a woman, the nature of family, marriage. I mean, the things that are pressing in upon us uh, challenge the very heartthrob of, if you like, a godly framework of existence. And the, the temptation, as you say, Craig, is either to curl up in a ball and wait for it all to pass, or to take arms against the sea of troubles and just become militant, and particularly in a political framework. Um, but uh, hopefully... Uh, we're, we're beginning to understand that the kingdom that we are seeking to uh, advance and seek uh, is, is, not a, is not an earthly kingdom. As Jesus said, you know, if it was, then my followers would fight. Uh, the reason that they're not fighting is not because there isn't something to fight about, but because this is not the fight. 
And uh, I think one of the one of the opportunities that this uh, uh, climate creates is to find out who the people are that really have a conviction about the gospel. And uh, I think it's Tozer who talked about, you know, when the heat is turned up, you find out who the chocolate soldiers are because they will melt in the face of the battle. And uh, so, uh, you know, here, here we go. Bad for the country, good for the church. On this edition of Lifeline, our conversation with Pastor Alistair Begg from Truth For Life. A brief time out, back to more of our dialogue as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to our visit with Pastor Alistair Begg, speaker on Truth For Life, heard weekday mornings here on KFAX. Pastor Begg, I want to pick up where we left off just a moment ago. And yet, you know, it's interesting because this has presented quite a quandary and a distraction for many in the church who at one time uh, felt confident to a degree in arguing the truth of the gospel. And instead, today, we find ourselves in an ever-increasing environment where we're simply arguing whether or not truth exists or can there be multiple truths coexisting at the same time. In the book, Alistair, you, you make a point inside the pages of Brave by Faith to indicate that the notion of Christianity and the Christian God is is incompatible in a pluralistic worldview, and yet we live in an ever-increasingly pluralistic society where there are multiple truths, quote-unquote, residing side by side. Why is there such incompatibility with this notion? Well, I, I, just in listening to your question, I mean, we realized that once again, this is not a new circumstance. If you think about if you think about the Roman Empire, and if you think about the Pantheon, and you think about all the gods there, or if you take the Greek culture, and, uh, and Paul going among them and saying, you know, I can see that you're a very religious group of people because you've got all these different shrines and monuments and things, and I want to proclaim to you the one true and living God. That's exactly what we're going to have to say. And we have to remember that when we say that, truth is on our side. Uh, that God has set eternity in the hearts of all of our friends and our work colleagues, that they know, having been made in the image of God, that there is something more that extends beyond this life. They know equally that they're completely unprepared for whatever that may be. They are susceptible to the idea that the answer might be found in some form of Eastern mysticism or whatever else it is, And the reason for its attraction is in part because it allows you to live whatever way you want to live, while at the same time engaging in some kind of form of spirituality. Well, in actual fact, that is essentially Gnosticism, which is alive and well within the framework of contemporary Christianity here in America. If you think about it, the level of sexual incontinence amongst those who are professing Christian people is a a travesty, It's, it's a tragedy, it's absolutely wrong. And so the world looks on and says, well, I don't see why you would be concerned about this particular area of, of the issue, when after all, look at your lives. So it, it's, a, it's a time, if you like, for judgment to begin at the house of God, so that we might then be organized and prepared uh, to tackle the challenges and the opportunities that the, that the moment provides. 
And of course, in doing so, in in capturing that moment, as you suggest, there is some degree to which, because of some of our outward behavior in in recent times, there's almost the feeling that our testimony has been compromised. And and oftentimes, a Christian will react to that by kind of digging their heels in, and and in doing so, creating a very combative environment that makes it ever increasingly difficult to try to live out our faith and reach others and make disciples for Christ. How, How do we go about as even in Daniel had his challenges in in being able to um, engage in dialogue with authority, even authority with whom he significantly disagreed with, and and still come out with a sense of that that integrity, that testimony intact. Well, it is a challenge, isn't it? I mean, the, the, when when uh, Paul writes to Titus, who's a who's a you know a pastor in Crete. You know, he says to them, you need to make sure that you remind your people to be good, to be good, uh, that they should be keen to do good, that they should be seen to be good, they, that they need to realize that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching them to say no to ungodliness. Radio with a yes purpose, kind of- AM 1100 KFAX.